There's no greater period in history that was more transformational than when Jesus Christ, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and as He began to walk and talk, things were transforming so quickly and so rapidly, and when we would come to the cross of Christ, then certainly the universe would turn the other direction. But as He was walking and began to preach, those Jews that had been looking for Him for 2,000 years were absolutely astounded and astonished because this was not the message that they were looking to hear. Even though John had tried to help them out in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9 when he said, for those individuals, say not to say within yourselves that we have Abraham to our father. For I tell you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And right now the axe lieth at the root. They had no idea what that would mean. And as Jesus would go along, the crowds would begin to throng around him. They knew some, something was in the air. They had been looking for the Messiah, and here he was. And when he would see the multitudes, he went up into the mountain, and he had sat down, and when his disciples came into him, he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That wasn't the message they were looking for. They couldn't understand that. Blessed are they that mourn, that they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. No, 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 they were the Jews, they were the Israelites. It was their seed that would inherit the earth. It was their seed that would get there to kingdom. They had been looking for this and they didn't understand these words, particularly in verse 20 of chapter 5 when he said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh no, those are religious leaders. Those are the ones that are leading us. Those are the prominent people. Those are the ones that stand up before us and preach to us. Those are the ones that are bringing us the message. We are following their act. We're following their lives. And now we're finding out that our righteousness has to exceed theirs. And then he comes along into verse chapter, five, or chapter 7 and verse 15. But before he gets to 15, before we get to this warning... He blows them away with what uh, Melvin talked about several uh, last week, I guess last Wednesday, when he said, Enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. Many are they that enter in thereby, for narrow is the gate, straighten the way that leadeth unto life, and there are fewer there are that find it. You see, they were on the way to heaven. That was their gate. It was an Israelite gate. It was a Jewish gate. Had nothing to do with narrow, wide. They didn't care how wide it was. They didn't care about the righteousness. These things were bestowed upon them by right of birth. And now this makes the warning that much more poignant when he said, Beware of the false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. By their fruits you shall know them. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But the evil tree, or the corrupt tree, bringeth forth evil fruit. For a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can the corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast under the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. So what he says here is that Aaron sheep's clothing... It's not that if you want to look so carefully that you can discern and determine. Even in your ignorance, these people may be so fooling. They could be so beguiling. They could be so deceitful. They're dressed like you. They act like you. They look like you. The things they say sound good. The sheep's clothing people are very thick. The sheep's clothing is very uh, convincing. 
And Jesus says, at least by their fruits you shall know them. For instance, we were talking about instrumental music. Doug was on Sunday night. You know, before we even get to the Scripture, before you even get to seven or eight passages in the New Testament that discuss or musical abilities of people and what God demands, before you even get to the Scripture, think about this. There's a falling way that happens in the second century. Early second century, we start departing from the pattern. We go into the third century, and we continue to run down that lane. In the fourth century, 325, we have the council in the scene. Things are already off. We have left the pattern. We are gone. And then the fifth century, and then the sixth century, in the 7th century, 606, we finally crown a pope. We are so gone, you wouldn't even recognize what's happening in the religious world. And still no instrument. And then the instrument comes in, year 666. And what does it do? It splits every religious group. It splits the family. It splits religious groups. It split denominations. It doesn't matter what your background is, whether it's Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, Episcopalian. It doesn't matter. Assembly of God, they're all the same. The instrument has split those denominations and those man-made religions. It has torn families up. And it has done the same in the brotherhood as well. Before we get to the scriptures, ask yourself about inserting something that is so, has been so deceitful and so beguiling and elderships have lied about it and preachers have had to prep their people about it. And then we say, well, you know what we'll do? If you just can't stand that, we'll just have two different uh, worship services. It's so divisive in the schism of it. Can you imagine trying to defend anything that has done that to all the religious groups that call themselves Christian long before you get to the text? By their fruits, you shall know them. For instance, a great example right now is Islam. You know, I've heard people say that even in the church, they say, well, you know, Allah is just another name for God. That just comes out of the Arabic. They worship the same God, and, they, and they, it's, a, it's a religion of love, and the Quran is a book of love, and it's a peaceful religion. People, open your eyes. By their fruits, you shall know them. We've had airmen go downrange, take a picture of a girl, you know, on their cell phone or something by mistake just because they've been down there too long, down at the old watering hole. And then later on, somebody will look on that cell phone, see the picture of the girl, take it out to the elders. The elders will look at it, see that, go back inside, come out with a Kalishnikov rifle, pop your boy right here, U.S. airman, and then call his daughter out of the next house because she's not allowed to live with the men. And then they... Pop her with a Kalishnikov rifle, he puts it down, calmly walks back inside. His honor saved, face saved. Oh, you thought I was talking about the extremist? You thought I was talking about terrorists? You thought I was talking about some political babble out of the Capitol that says it's extremism? No, those are our allies. You spend time in a Middle Eastern country where, where Islam is the religion. It is the iron rule. Everywhere that religion has gone has been the sword. Mohammed started when he was 50 years old. Up to that point, he hadn't done anything. After that, he meets the unicorn and all things change. He goes off 96 wars and battles in 15 years. He takes from Medina to a territory about the size of Texas and subjugates people right and left 
By their fruits you shall know them. Jesus said, even by their fruits you should know them. We cannot understand the warnings of false prophecy and false prophets. And when we say prophets, we're talking about those individuals, particularly in the Bible, they were inspired of God and they would just kind of bubble forth with the word of God. They would come forth as a spring out in an oasis, an inspired teacher, an inspired preacher. That's what it means. Now, some of them could see the future. Some of them did see visions that would come to pass in any way that God wanted to talk to his people. Later on, we read about prophets in the New Testament, but after visions are sealed and inspiration is sealed, we look at it as the Word of God. The doctrines and the things that are taught, the precepts and the oracles of God. But we can't understand his warning about false prophets unless we have some kind of understanding and appreciation for God's Word. How is it that God feels about this holy, holy Word. In Deuteronomy 18 and 20, he said, But the prophet that shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, that I have not commanded him to speak or shall speak in the name of the other gods, that same prophet shall die. Capital offense. To change, alter the word of God. Absolutely essential to keep it pure throughout the ages with his power and his providence. And in Deuteronomy uh, 7, chapter, or chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, as the Israelites are about to cross into the land of Canaan, he is going to ensure and make sure that it is, stays pure, holy, unadulterated. He says, when Jehovah God delivers them up before you, and thou shalt smite them, then thou shalt utterly destroy them. Thou shalt not show mercy to them, thou shalt make covenants with them, thou shalt not make any marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, and his daughter thou shalt not take unto thy son. Why? Not only because of the cultural things there, not because of that danger there that we've talked about, but to keep his word absolutely pure. Whatsoever things I command you, that shall you observe to do. Thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. Deuteronomy 12 and 32. Absolutely essential. It's the word of God, that which saves and has saved the world. Begotten again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible. The word of God which liveth and abideth, 1 Peter 1, 23. And Jesus said, you're right, the flesh profiteth nothing, the spirit giveth life. The words which I speak are spirit and are life, John 6 and 63. Absolutely essential to appreciate God's word. You know, we talk about, we say early church fathers. They're not really our church fathers. They're really just early Christians from the first three or four centuries. That Antinocene period and Nicene period, here they are, the first three or four hundred years of Christianity. Do you know if, if let's say ISIS comes along and, and just absolutely takes every museum down and takes out all the manuscripts we have on the Bible, every bit of them. Takes down all the websites. Takes all your Bibles away. If they don't take the writings, the letters, and the script of the early church fathers, you could reconstruct your Bible, particularly the New Testament, word for word with what they wrote, how they talked. They were seeped in it. It was a culture where they were immersed in the word of God. Yeah, they had to deal with persecutions. What do you and I have to deal with? HGTV, more, more time on our hands than anything. That has bred our own dilemma of decadence and materialism and all the things. I've got time for everything but the Word of God. Even the founding fathers, you know, the University of Houston did this study once. 
They took the founding era, which were called 1760 to 1805. And they took the founding fathers, about 200 individuals. They said, well, we're going to find out where their ideas came from. And as they looked back, they wanted to pile up. So they piled up 15,000 different writings, 3,150 different quotes. And out of that, they found out that 8.3% of all those quotes went to Montesquieu. And then 7.9% of those quotes went to William Blackstone. 2.9% of them went to John Locke. And if you took the first 10 individuals, put them all together, they still wouldn't stack up to the number one quoted source. 34% of every quote that came out of the founding era was from your Bible. 34%. And people, that was in the public eye. That was in government. That was in policy. That was in the capital. That was in the buildings of where they were making laws. That wasn't in their home. You know, an entrance exam to Harvard University at that time, you know what it was? Part of the Old Testament in Hebrew, translated. Part of the New Testament in Greek, translated. No, you were from the public school, and that was your entrance exam into Harvard. They put our Sunday schools to shame in their public schools. Because there are people immersed in the Word of God. Absolutely essential. Matthew 4 and 4, of course, Jesus says... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You ever wondered if you were able to put on some special glasses and look around at us right now? Of course, we can't see the spiritual world. We're told that in 2 Corinthians 2 and 8, but, or 4 and 8. But if we were to be able to see the spiritual world and the spiritual bodies, would we look like a bunch of prisoners in Andersonville? You ever think about that? You just look around and think, you know what? Here we are just starving, like we're in the baton death march, but we got time for everything else. And Jesus, looking that way himself after 40 days, and his point is this, that that's not as important. Food is not as important as the Word of God. What a message. And the false prophets, they always find fertile soil in the heart because false doctrine and false prophecy is really about the recipient's heart. And it has always been that way. In Genesis chapter 3, in the very beginning, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field that Jehovah God had made. And in verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Thou shalt not surely die. For God doth know in the day that you eat thereof that your eyes will be opened, and you will be as God, and you will know good and evil. All he's doing there is doing what? He's playing up to the woman and what she wants. She wants that fruit. She wants to see those things. She wants her eyes open. She wants that knowledge. And he gives it to her. And it has always been that way. Deuteronomy 13, the first three verses tells us this as we start a whole chapter on false prophets. And he said, and there a false prophet arise among you, or a prophet rise among you, or a dreamer of dreams. And he giveth thee a sign and a wonder. And the sign and the wonder should come to pass. Wherein he spake unto you, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known. Let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Now listen at this. Listen at this. This is frightening because he says, Because Jehovah your God proveth you to know whether you love Jehovah your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You ever catch that? There is a sign and a wonder from a false prophet that has come to pass. 
You talk about a setup. And he says, you will be guilty because I'm proving you. And he doesn't say to prove you whether you know enough or whether you have discerned the truth or, or whether you've been able to have enough wisdom. Even though he's talking about the word of God, what does he say? He says, whether you love him enough. It's about loving God enough to discern the difference between falsehood and truth. And you say, well, I'm, I'm glad God doesn't work like that today, aren't you? I mean, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11 says he absolutely does. Is that a frightening thought, people? That you have challenges maybe in this congregation or amongst your family or you as an individual that God is allowing to say, do you love me, Scott, enough? That's frightening. God has determined. It is the love for him to keep his word pure. We say, but that's a lie. These false prophets have a lie. How would we be blamed? How could we be blamed? They're in sheep's clothing. They're deceitful. In 1 Kings chapter 13, we have a prophet there from Judah, and he goes over to Israel. He goes to Bethel, and the, the kingdom is split. And what has Jeroboam done? He has desecrated the worship service. He has perverted the altar. He's perverted the priesthood. He's perverted the place. He's perverted everything about Jehovah's worship and his laws. And the prophet comes out and cries out against the altar and says, Altar, O altar. Somebody named Josiah is going to come from the seat of David and he's going to burn the bones of the priest on top of you. And this will be a sign that that altar is going to rent open and all the ashes are going to fall out. Jeroboam reaches out his hand to say, Stop that man. And it sticks right there. And he begs him to beseech his God so that he can be whole again. And so the prophet allows him to do that. You know what? Is that a courageous guy or not? Can you imagine walking up to a king like Jeroboam? standing there crying out, giving him the word of God no matter what the consequence. What an incredible prophet. And Jeroboam says, come home with me. Dine with me. He says, no, I can't go with you. I can't drink. I can't eat with you. I've got to even go a different way. I can't even come the same way. And so he leaves. And there's an old prophet in Israel. And he thinks, wow, what an act. I want to get a hold of him. He tells his sons, go saddle the donkey. And he goes out and he rides out to get a hold of this guy. He finds him out under the oak tree. He tells him the same thing. I can't go home with you. Jehovah God has told me not to do that. He says, ah, oh, but an angel came from God. Doesn't that change things? An angel. Oh, that changes things. The angel from God came to me and said, you can come home with me. And so he goes home with the old prophet, sits down. He's going to have this big meal, and he's going to enjoy himself. And as he's there, the old prophet now does get the word of God, doesn't he? He stands up, and he cries out against him, and he says, You will not reach the sepulchre of your fathers, for you have disobeyed the word of God. Now, we say he was lied to. How could he help it? How could he help it? We're not told in that chapter, but we're told in the rest of the biblical narrative that's because he wanted to stay. 
He wanted the preeminence among men. He wanted to sit down and talk about those exploits. He enjoyed the fact that this man looked up to him. He was tired. He was worn out. There was something about there, something about his heart to believe the lie. And God gives you up and gives you over to the lies. And that's what we're told again and again and again. We say, but that was a lie. This is a rebellious people. Lying children, children that will not hear the law of Jehovah. They say unto the seers, see not. And unto the prophets, prophesy not unto us. Write things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Isaiah 30. Prophesy deceits because that's the way we want to hear it. I knew a lady once that stood up. We had, we had a potluck. She says, I want to make an announcement. So the elders said, okay, we'll let you make an announcement. She stood up. She preached one of the best sermons I'd ever heard in about 15 minutes, just going on and on. Finally, they got her to be quiet, and they went back into the back, and they sat her down. They said, you will never do that again. And what do you think her attitude about what that was? I'll go somewhere where they'll let me, where there's an eldership that understands. I've got things to say. We want to have it so. Not about the book anymore. That's the way false prophets have always been. In Ezekiel 13, 1 through 3, we find out a fantastic passage here when Ezekiel says that the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy unto the prophets of Israel that prophesy. And say unto them that prophesy out of their own heart, hear ye the word of Jehovah. Thus saith the Lord Jehovah. Woe unto you foolish prophets that follow your own spirit and have seen nothing. You know what's some fantastic about that passage? I don't know how many times I've read it through, but this is completely different. You can read that again and again, but let me tell you, let me point something out to you. When Doug stood up here on Sunday night, he said, Thus saith the Lord. In other words, that's the authorization to do what we do. And some people have said, listen, you guys have taken that way too far. You've taken the thus saith the Lord way too far. That's not in the book anywhere like that. You know what Ezekiel is saying? He said, Jehovah says, speak to these prophets that follow their, their own heart. Hear ye the word of Jehovah. Okay, we're going to hear the word of Jehovah. What is the word of Jehovah? Thus saith the Lord Jehovah. Why would God say that? Why would God say, say unto them, hear ye the word of Jehovah. What's the word of Jehovah? Thus saith the Lord Jehovah. Because they are the ones following their own spirit. Do you see how that works? He's saying before you open your mouth, before you take that step, before you have that thought, when you're talking about God's word, thus saith the Lord Jehovah. If you can't say that, you need to rethink it. Amazing, amazing text. And it says they follow their own spirit. How many people have we heard that now begin to talk about the pushings and the pullings and the feelings? Oh, God laid this on my heart to come over here and I'm going to marry this person over there. I'm going to take this trip over here. I'm going to do all of this. How do you know the devil didn't put that into your heart? How do you know that's not your own spirit? 
You see, I don't think that these, these people that Ezekiel's talking about, I don't, think it's these, I don't think it's that they're saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to be deceitful. I'm just going to act like I had a vision. No, I think it's religious people. I think it's people that wanted to be a prophet. They wanted to be the man. They, they wanted to have the message. And then, oh, yeah, they lost a little sleep, had a little bit. I had a vision. Because that's the way they wanted it. They're looking for it. I knew a young lady once that had sat down with the, with the Mormon brethren. You know, when they sit down and, and, and have a lesson with you, you know what they tell you? They say, when you know the truth, you're going to feel a burning right down in here in your chest. How many people you think after a while when they keep telling you, you think you're going to get a little something? She did. She went off into that. She ran off into that religion because she had that burning down the side. She just knew she was being convicted. Fifteen years later, she knew she was in a terrible cult. She just had to get out. But her family was in. Her friends were in. Her whole life is built around it. They make it so attractive. And everything in your life is so much about it. They say, well, you know what? You can't get out. It's like moving off, leaving your family, and going to a foreign country. That's what it's like getting out of it. Here she's studying with a denominational individual from, from her work, and, and he's saying, ah, you got to get out of it, you got to get out. So she, she, she says, well, she's driving down the road, and she starts praying. What do you think she prays? Give me a sign. Am I supposed to leave? Am I supposed to get out? She got that burning down in her chest again. She got the same Holy Spirit telling her something completely different in the opposite direction. The Catholics believe in a direct operation of the Holy Spirit. Presbyterians believe in the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. Methodists believe in the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. The Lutheran, the Assembly of God, the Pentecostals. And they're all going in different directions. But now we think we can come up and say, well, I think maybe he wants me to do this. I talked to a young lady out of the church and she said, oh, he wants me to go up here and marry this doctor and, and we're going off to this different... I think God's, this, God's telling me to do this. This is my plan. I said, your plan is in here. This is what you're weighing your plan against. Everything else could be from your own desire. I wish she would have listened to me before she married the Baptist, ran off, she lost her faith, and now she's doing whatever. I think they compromised in one of those community church things. That's what happens when we start going with feelings, pushings, pullings, and all of these things, because there's no rationality behind the thought. You ever study with somebody and they say, well, I think it really it looks good, sounds good. And then they just go on and they say, they come back the next day and they go, well, I was in my closet and I prayed for a conviction, but nothing happened. So I guess you're wrong. It's like, what else do you want? But the word of God to be opened up to you. That's the way the Holy Spirit works today. I deny any other operation other than the word of God. And these prophets were the same, to follow after their own spirit. And you can justify anything. And so, as people follow their own heart, we've had departures. Departures from the pattern of sound doctrine. And the first departure is when they say there is no pattern of teaching. There's no real pattern in 2 Timothy 1 and 13, we say, well, we hold on to the pattern of sound words, but that must not mean that. In Romans 6 and 17, whereas you, we are thankful to God, whereas you were servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form, that pattern of teaching wherein you are now delivered. Being made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. What is the pattern he's talking about? Specifically, Romans 6, the first seven verses, probably verse 4, the death, burial, and resurrection, that pictorial of the baptism of the individual with their Savior. 
a pattern of teaching. 2 John 9 through 11, he says, Anyone, whosoever goeth on, onward, and abideth not in the teaching of Christ, hath not God. Whosoever goeth on and, and, and abides in the teaching, the same hath both the Father and the Son. If anyone come to you and bringeth not this teaching, receive him not unto your house. And give him no greeting, for he that giveth him a greeting partaketh in his evil works. I sat down with a friend of mine the other day. He's a uh, Presbyterian minister, and I, we were talking, and I began to talk about some of the people they had accepted into these big mega churches. And I was trying to get to a point as we, he, he was going to agree with me for a while, and I knew it, but I got him down. I tried to, tried to get him into that situation of obedience, and he started getting pretty uncomfortable, and I could feel it. And he started backing out of the, the conversation. He wasn't nodding his head so much, wasn't agreeing so much, and I finally stopped him, and I said, Mitchell, I said, if you don't abide in the teachings of Christ, you hath not God. It's much more than a, just a confession. It's much more than just getting yourself on a, on a website over there at uh, Vaughn Forest or whatever. I mean, it's just, you, you, it's, it's about abiding in the teaching of Christ, and there is a pattern. In fact, one of the first departures of the pattern was the organization of the church, as Doug was talking about. Very quickly, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, Paul is there on the western shores of Asia. He's at Miletus and he sends unto Ephesus and calls unto him the elders, plural, of the church, singular, out of Ephesus. The word there is presbuteros. And then he goes up and he starts a dialogue with those same individuals, those that had filled the office of elder. He's talking to that plurality, never a single individual, plurality of elders. And he said, take heed unto thyself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops, to feed the church of the Lord, which he purchased with his own blood. He called them bishops, overseers in some of your translations. The word is no longer presbyteros, it's episkopos. You know where the words we're getting out of there, right? Episcopal, presbytery. Same, it's different words, but the same office. Uses them interchangeably, and then here's the irony of it. After he uses those words interchangeably, he said, I know that after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Even amongst your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw the disciples away after them. What was he talking about? Is it ironic that he just used elders and bishops interchangeably? Then he warned them about people rising up in that very church. Later, Ignatius in 110 is going to write about a single bishop over multiple elders and churches. First departure, maybe second departure, very quickly. They had already divided the offices and the terms and had a single individual. So quickly. That was in 110. And so that was one of the first departure. Of course, we have departures and other things. And mead, modium, and baptism. I've got, a, I've got a book at home called Cover to Cover by Johnny Ramsey. It's a great book. It's real old. It's got all the, the glues broken out of it, you know, and I like to just thumb through it and everything. Johnny Ramsey's got some, he summarizes the paragraphs and the chapters in the Bible, tells you, hey, if you, you just know what they're about and what the important parts are. And in Luke chapter 7, 28 through 31, he's talking there, and he gives, I just remind you of the dialogue, but Jesus has a couple of words there, and he's talking, and he says, amongst them that are born of women, there is none greater than John. But he that is little in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And the people when they heard, all the people when they heard, and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. 
Ah, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected for themselves the counsel of God, not being baptized of him. Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? The words in your Bible should be in red. It's the dialogue that Jesus is having. Those are his words. Johnny Ramsey summarizes that paragraph and he says, evil men refuse to be baptized. Now there's something about that book I didn't tell you. It's an old book. It's been to two or three different owners and one of the owners was a, was a Calvinist. I could tell by the pen markings in it. And in that, right next to that statement, there's a big pen mark in this capital N-O. No! No, that's wrong. I thought, well, let me go back and read that again. Let me see. He says they not only rejected John's preaching and John's inspiration and John's baptism and John's commandment. He said, you rejected the counsel of God. Now, you may argue that that's not evil, but you got not a leg to stand on. You certainly don't have a book to back you up. How hard and crusted does your heart have to be where the simple truths no longer penetrate? Lusting after those things that you want to be true. For instance, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, he says that this time is coming. Preach the word, be urgent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure the sound doctrine, but having itching ears will heap unto themselves teachers after their what? Own lusts and turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables. And it happens so quickly, so very quickly. How about something a little bit closer to home in Ephesians 4 and 2? Ephesians 4 and 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering. Forbearing one another in love. That's a pattern of teaching. That's a pattern of teaching. You love the girls that sit around you? Oh, I don't mean the ones that you sit next to. I mean the ones you won't talk to when you're going down the hall or the ones that you don't want to sit on your side or she said the wrong thing to me. Where are they getting it, parents? They get it from us. You ever had somebody come up and say something? You say, oh, you know what? I don't like him. I'd just rather not even talk to him. I'm just going to sit over here on my side. I'm not sure what's wrong with you folks over here. Well, did you hear what they, he said? We were eating Zaxby's the other night, and, and Scott popped off and said this thing. I'm just saying, forbearing one another with love. Are we marked with love for one another? So we got the baptism right. We've got the singing right. We've got all the other pattern things right. But what about loving one another? In other words, it's one thing when you're seven years old to pick on another boy because he's weaker than you, makes you feel good. But by the time you're 16, 17, or 40, not that funny anymore. See, if this doesn't change the hearts of men, it's failed in you. The word hadn't failed, but obviously our heart's not right. In 1 Kings chapter 22, we read about Micaiah here in verse 13 and 14. And the messenger went to Micaiah. You know the story well. And he went to call on him, and he said unto him, he said, Behold now, the words of all the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak thou good. And Micaiah said, As Jehovah liveth, whatsoever Jehovah saith, that will I speak. 
little tough sometimes. A little tough sometimes. Billy's called on us to be bold, and there's only one way to be bold, and that is to understand the importance of the Word of God, to keep it in its purity, to have the kind of heart that you can receive only the truth and the truth only, and that we'll be courageous enough to stand up and speak the Word of God where it needs to be proclaimed, and only the Word of God, nothing but the Word of God. And when it gets to opinions and everything else, we'll just talk about that in the, in the back. But the Word of God, thus saith the Lord. I leave you with this, Proverbs chapter 7, the first three verses. He says, my son, keep my words. Lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live. And my law is the apple of thine eye. Wrap them around your finger. Tie them and bind them on your fingers. And write them upon the tablet of thy heart. That is the inoculation against false prophets, false teachers, and false doctrines. Thank you very much.